A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. And welcome back to Catch Up with Louise McSharry. I am Louise McSharry. This is the podcast where I try and catch you up on the week. If you haven't been paying attention, do not worry about it. It is impossible to pay attention all the time. Literally impossible. So you don't need to worry about a thing. We're going to catch you up on what's been going on in the news, what's been going on in the world of entertainment, and just keep you generally informed and up to date and hopefully entertained as well. Hope you had a good week. Uh, my week was pretty good. I was in Wexford over the weekend. Um, uh, we went to visit my parents there and it was just gorgeous. It's just so peaceful and nice and such a beautiful part of the country and um, then I went to Carly Rae Jepsen on Sunday night in the Olympia which was amazing she is incredible like I've liked her music for a long time I really like her new album Um, actually there's a there's a little recommendation for you if you're into that kind of pop music Um, she played 26 songs like she barely took a breath she is a machine and she used the like really used the fullness of the Olympia stage which I don't think I've ever seen anyone do there like it was a proper full kind of pop gig on a small stage like she had what are they called rafters like steps and everything up there um which I suppose makes sense because she was headed over to the UK the following week to play to like 10,000 people you know arenas so yeah we're lucky to see her in a small space she was fantastic I also this week went on a hot air balloon um, as part of a, a launch uh, by Sculpted by Amy, um, which was very cool. I did not know. I mean, I, I don't think I'd ever really questioned hot air balloons and how they operate. I mean, I knew they work via hot air, obviously. But I didn't know that you can't control where they go. So I was up in it just a little bit. It was tethered to the ground by cars. Um, but basically, if you go up in a hot air balloon, it just goes whatever way the wind goes. And then you land kind of where you land. Like wild like crazy that people actually go on real trips on hot air balloons anyway it was very cool yeah uh, very appreciative to school to Miami for giving me that experience I, I was just like asking the man a million questions um about how it worked um and then other than that just pottering away busy times I think everybody's kind of busy and tired I feel like is the vibe at the moment um so hopefully you're finding a little bit of peace in your week for yourself I have to say thank you again to everyone who has continued to sign up for the Patreon it is so appreciated um it's about 
I th- I mean, it's funny seeing people who sign up in different parts of the world. It comes up as a different amount for me, but it's it's a fiver. That's that's the basic price of, of being a member. There, I don't have tiers or anything. If you pay a fiver um, in some countries, that's like, I think I got a New Zealand one this morning. It's like nine New Zealand dollars or something. Um, exchange rates, who knew? <laughs> but it's a fiver and you will get an extra episode every second week. So at the moment, there are two episodes up there, which if you haven't signed up yet, you haven't heard. One of them is a mailbag episode and that's basically me responding to your voice notes and messages, um, which I have just loved receiving. And there'll be a new one of those next week. The phone number, by the way, is 089-209-6423. That's 089-209-6423. That's the number if you want to send me a voice note um on whatsapp i i can respond to it and listen to it i love hearing your feedback i love if you don't agree with me um hilariously <laughs> there was a voice note accidentally sent into the mother of pods pod phone recently um which the girls listened to and uh, responded to <laughs> um i have gotten them to send that to me so if you are the listener who sent that uh, i will be responding to that on the mailbag episode next week and um, but there's also a just over 40 minute long discussion of um, the Pamela Anderson Netflix documentary, which I cannot seem to keep the bloody name of it in my head. I think it's Pamela, Pamela with love, Pamela, a love story. Why can I not keep this name in my head? Pamela, a love story. Um, so myself and Jen Gannon spoke extensively about that documentary, what we took from it and what we love about Pamela Anderson and basically kind of analyzing whether or not we think that she would be treated the same today if she was the big, hot, famous woman that she was in, I mean, she still is, but that she was in the 90s, you know, if the environment has changed really. So that's available now. So if you sign up today, you can go and listen to that if you want. Um, so there you go. We will keep on trucking. There's a link, by the way, in the show notes or in my social media bios if you want to sign up now that we'll keep going immediately after recording today's news catch up with Aoife Moore she said oh we didn't talk about Bertie Ahern because the Bertie Ahern story came out in between us deciding what stories we were going to talk about and recording so basically the news is that Bertie Ahern has uh, rejoined Fianna Fáil the speculation is that this is an indication that he wants to run for president and um, but we will watch and see I'm sure we'll touch base on it next week but there was lots more to talk about so enjoy. Aoife Moore a political correspondent at the Sunday Times Ireland what a joy it is to be back with you in your humble abode sorry how dare I call your abode oh. humble my god the rent's cheap that's why it's humble <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can find cheap rent in this town, then you better... Oh, my yeah. landlord will have to pry this house out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> um, okay, we've got lots of news to talk about. And unfortunately, we have to start with the absolutely heartbreaking news of what's gone on in Turkey and Syria. Yeah, no matter what I say at the moment, this is going to be out of date in like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll just go from what Morning Ireland had. And the death toll at the moment is around 16,000 between <sighs> Turkey and Syria. So there was an earthquake on Monday and the pre- the president of Turkey, um, if anyone's not heard of him before, Erdogan is a world-renowned um, bit of an arsehole. The rescue efforts have not been great, which has compounded the problem and they reckon has heightened the death toll. He blamed um, road blockages because obviously as earthquakes happen, buildings collapse, all that sort of stuff. Mm. But we have all seen, you know, from Monday, the absolutely heartbreaking images of children, of young people trapped under buildings. There is a really famous photograph of a man holding his daughter's hand while, uh, I know, while her body um, is under the rubble. So 
they reckon now over 300,000 people have been forced to leave their homes um, and the Syrian state media is saying that uh, because there's already a war in Syria, it's only government-held areas that can be evacuated. So I actually said this to someone on Monday when I heard this and it, obviously there is no good time or place to have a natural disaster but Syria really, really, really did not yeah. need or uh, had the abilities to deal with this. Um, so uh, the rescue efforts are ongoing but we have, you know, the Irish Red Cross are out there, Goal are out there and all the charities are saying they're expecting a second wave of humanitarian crisis because... Even the people who have survived, it is absolutely freezing in Syria and Turkey at the minute. And people who might have survived, maybe are living under the rubble. If they've been out in the cold at night since Monday, they're probably going to die. And then the other issue is the people who were never trapped under buildings, but there are no rescue centres, there is no heat, there is no electricity and there is no water. Mm. So you're seeing images now, I've seen an image yesterday of what used to be a clothes shop. And it had like, you know those big like, bands of knickers that pennies have yeah there's like three of them in a row as if they were in a shop but there was no shop around them and there was people sitting behind them around a fire yeah so it was like the shop was completely gone but the stock of the shop was still there um so obviously loads and loads of aid now has gone from america ireland we've sent uh, foreign aid they had the uh head of the red cross on today on the media and she said I know that everyone wants to send like blankets and warm clothes, but that's really not what they need. So ch- if you're going to donate, yeah, just check up. We saw from the Turkish embassy, you know, tons of nappies, all that sort of stuff going, yeah, um, to Turkey and Syria. But she said to just double check what you're sending before, because you know we saw that in Ukraine where people were just sending their old clothes that they didn't want anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, I and also just I've seen a lot of people kind of agonizing over where to send money. Mm-hmm. I think people get worried because we've heard stories over the years of sending money to charities that aren't actually doing the work or, or the government takes it. Yeah, so yeah. you're not giving it, you know, a such a portion is taken for marketing or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, it seems to me, and this is just my opinion based on my research and what I've learned, that the Irish Emergency Alliance is a good place to send your money. It's irishemergencyalliance.org. That is a group of Irish charities, Action Aid, Christian Aid, Plan International, Self Help Africa, Tear Fund Ireland, World Vision, Trocra. Um, they have banded together because if they band together, then they save on their fundraising costs, they save on logistics, and they can just make a, a more impactful effort. They work with local groups on the ground so mm-hmm. that they can be the most effective. And it just seems to me that that is the most sensible place for us to send our money at the moment. It's irishemergencyalliance.org. It's not one charity. It's a group of charities working together to try and be as impactful as possible at a time when impact is desperately needed. Um, so yeah, if you can do, I mean, I, I gave some money yesterday and I'll probably give some more today because mm-hmm. it's just you feel so powerless when things like this happen and the imagery is just so oh, heartbreaking the photographs are horrendous and like just as I was saying there about so the survival ratio um, an expert said a survival ratio in the average within the 24 hours is 74% after 72 hours it's 22% and then by the fifth day it's 6% so um, and that's without is, the cold that's without the cold yeah. so this is not just a rescue effort there are complete cities they're gone um, you know, we're seeing, I saw really, I know it's obviously nothing compared to the cost of life, but this really old mosque that had been there for like thousands of years, like Rujusti, rubble, a lot of museums, monuments, all that stuff is gone. And as we know, there was already a humanitarian crisis mm. in Syria because they live under a dictator and they're in the, we're in the middle of a civil war. Um, and I would more worry, at least Turkey has some sort of leadership and some sort of, you know, the westernized, um, the western 
democracies pay a bit of attention to it, but when it comes to Syria, I, seriously, the, the country was having a hard enough time already under Assad. Yeah, that's the last thing they needed. Okay, um, let's move on, unfortunately, to another another not great story. Um, we have something kind of good to end on, though, guys, so let's just keep keep her lit and get to the end. Um, there was a survey that was released this week uh, via Bernardos, which said that one in five parents haven't had enough food for their children. Yeah, and you know what's really worrying? This started before this report was taken before the cost of living crisis started oh great so it's last year wow so um it was between um coin research and aldi ireland um to explore the prevalence of food poverty in ireland and they said that one in seven parents that's 16 percent said that they've been regularly unable to afford a main meal for their family um they said that between january november last year food poverty had worsened for children and families they said that one in eight were always worried about having sufficient food. 29% of parents say they sometimes or occasionally worry about being able to def- um, provide food. And uh, we we are seeing this across the board. So we know like the Caption Day Centre, um, they had the security man on the media. Um, he started there 19 years ago. He said his first day they served out 50 lunches. And he thought, oh my God, you know, how, ma- how much more can we do? They're now at like 700. Um. And that was before the cost of living. The thing that bothers me as well is I think a lot of people believe that this is something that could not happen to them or would not happen to them. Mm. Um, we know that um, one third of the people who live under the poverty line in Ireland are in work. Mm. The, the, this is the work and poor. This is no longer a problem that people think that wouldn't happen to them because of addiction or, you know, unfortunate life circumstances. This is people who are working. So, you know, it's all good for the government to say, well, are there are tax receipts and our GDP and, you know, we're in yeah. full employment. If you're in full employment and people can't afford, if, if employment isn't a pathway out of poverty, what is the point? Yeah. A hundred percent. It's heartbreaking. Like, I mean, it's hard. I mean, anybody who has kids, it's heartbreaking for anybody, but if you have kids, you can, you can especially imagine what it would be like to not know if you were going to be able to put a dinner on the table. Mm. Like, it's absolutely unbelievable. I think not having enough to eat is bad for your mental health as it is, but imagine the guilt yeah. then compounded on top of that because you cannot feed your children. Yeah. Um, we're seeing more and more families um, where parents are reliant on food vouchers and food packages from friends and family to provide um food so when leo Vragger took over um, and kids eat can i just say kids eat so much so my six-year-old eats this is not a joke four hot meals a day plus (laughs) snacks lots of snacks now he is the size of a 10 year old yeah but like he 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 eats way more than me he's like an mma fighter true (laughs) like no joke Um, yeah, so the when Leo Vragger, the Taoiseach, took over, um, Taoiseach Volume 2, he has started a new unit in his department for tackling child poverty. So you would think this is the first place he's going to start. You know where that comes from. Hot meals in school, including that breakfast, lunches, all those sort of things I think are going to be looked at. Yeah. Because if you can't feed them at home, at least, the least we could do is give them breakfast and lunch at school. I mean, I agree, but also maybe just make sure that people are paid enough that they can oh, afford yes. food. Absolutely. Like, but. it's... It's it's uh, like I actually don't have the words, and it's it's capitalism, Louise. Disgraceful, oh, it but is. it is disgraceful. Like literally, how can we live with ourselves? 
How can we live with ourselves in a country where politicians will talk about economic growth and parents are going without food so that their children can eat? You can't eat GDP. Truly. Okay, um, next up, I thought this was interesting, um, uh, but unsurprising, really. This week, there was um, a, I think, what, well, you're going to know more. Yeah. yeah, well, on Wednesday. Yeah, sorry, it was Wednesday, a meeting, yeah. <laughs> a hearing of the Oireachtas Committee on Health, where unions put forward representation from uh, groups of nurses and mm-hmm. midwives speaking about the abuse that they are experiencing in their jobs. Yeah, so I think most people assume that violence against nurses and healthcare workers um, takes place at 2 o'clock in the morning and the A&E in St. James's. I've been there, I've seen mm-hmm. it. Um, what we found yesterday was it's across the board in all hospitals at any time of the day. They were talking actually yesterday about children's hospitals and they were talking about parents who are so distraught, so upset, lashing out at nurses one nurse who gave evidence she said that she had been uh smacked spat at told that she was going to be stabbed on the way back to her car verbally abused threatened she said that you know especially at night you go when you're panicking so part of this is um and you can totally see why this is an issue with overcrowding and security it's also an issue with if someone is in a lot of pain and feels like they have been ignored because they've been sitting in a waiting room for mm. how many hours. The first person they then see is the nurse. Yeah. And they lash out. I am not in any way excusing this behavior. I don't. Yeah. There's just no words for it that someone would attack a nurse or a healthcare worker. Yeah. But she said it is an, a problem that is overwhelmingly to do with crowding and overstaffing. Uh, understaffing and overcrowding. So that, you know, there is just too many people there. There's too many sick people. There's too many tired people. It's creating this like tinderbox for problems and there's not enough security. Um, We've seen a horrific incident there last month um, where someone was killed and it does sort of feel that everything is coming to a head. You know, the trade unions were making the point that when um, doctors and nurses are attacked, they get a certain amount of time off. If you're a healthcare assistant or a porter, you get much less time off for being attacked. Even if it's the same attack you're going to get less time off. Uh, The um, secretary for the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organization, uh, sorry, the general secretary, said that there were at least 10 assaults occurring every day. Yeah. Like, that's appalling. They said as well that the reporting process is actually broken as well, so that when nurses and doctors are attacked now, they don't even bother reporting it because it just ends up being more hassle for them. It's probably paperwork and stuff that they have to do that they don't feel like anything's going to come of it anyway, so they don't do it. And the thing is, like, you're talking about physical trauma, but you're also talking about emotional and yeah, mental trauma. Yeah, just even anecdotally, like, a relative of mine was a nurse. This was in Derry, but it's the same issue. Um, was a nurse, and she had been a nurse for 30, 40 years and walked away from it because she was attacked by yeah. a patient. And it takes a huge toll on your mental health. You can't walk into work scared. No. Morning and night. And it's not to say we pay them very well No, either. exactly. And, like, you know, obviously this kind of having this kind of experience on a regular basis in the workplace is appalling for anyone Mm -hmm. in any situation but when you consider if you have ever been in hospital and you have experienced the care of nurses and midwives Mm -hmm. they are angels Angels. yeah like angels I met someone recently connected to one of the nurses who gave me my chemo during chemotherapy one of the nurses and like I feel 
a closeness to that woman that I don't feel for some family members. Mm -hmm. Like the kindness and the care that she gave me Mm -hmm. at a difficult time in my life. I will never forget her Mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. Like, and I will never forget any of the nurses. I could name them now. Like it's Mm -hmm. been eight years, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And there are so many people just like me because the work that they do is incredible when you consider the fact that they're underpaid and now they're having to face this bullshit. Like it's a disgrace. And we already know that we have a massive retention issue and that young, especially younger nurses, Um, And doctors are going to Australia because they're not getting paid enough and they're overworked. If they're starting to, not even starting, if they're they're attacked, why would they stay? Honestly. Um, Okay, let's move on to my favorite story of the week because it is kind of fun. And this is the State of the Union address that happened. I can't believe this is your favorite story. What an odd choice for you. Well, I mean, (laughs) compared to earthquakes, assault and child (laughs) hunger. Yes, it is my favorite (laughs) Fine, um, whatever, okay. Also, it's the drama. I just love it the is. drama, Mick. It's all the drama, Mick. I just love it. <laughs> so um, Joe Biden gave his State of the Union address this week, which is this massive speech that they give every year, the yeah. president. Um, and it was dramatic because of the absolutely bonkers Republicans. It's because there is no, you know, the first time that anyone ever interrupted the State of the Union was um, Obama. Mm. Someone shouted at Obama that he was a liar. And that was seen as this hugely disrespectful at a point in time of no return that someone would interrupt the president during the State of the Union. They have (laughs) ran with it. So elected circus clown Marjorie Taylor Greene, this woman, we could do like our own podcast episode about this absolute freak. She is if you find out that she was a parody character, um, you would believe it. She is um, a congresswoman who is a close ally of President Trump. She believes in QAnon. She is incredibly anti-LGBTQ. She uh, anti-COVID, anti-lockdown, anti-mask. Just everything you think she is. She yeah. Is. So what happened during the State of the Union, the thing that made it so much more dramatic is that she wore this white coat. Yeah. With this like white fur. What's that thing called? Stole. Yeah. Around it. She looked kind of like Corella Deval. And she ju- she ju- she jeered and booed the president throughout it. And then she <laughs> she wandered through the halls of Congress holding a white balloon. That was the weirdest bit for me. She looked like fucking it or like it. I <laughs> <laughs> it out of it. Pennywise. But I saw this comment on a TikTok that was like, she's got to be in on the joke. Like, she you can't turn up like a Bond ski villain yes. in that outfit and without knowing that you're the villain. Yeah. Like, so she stood up and, shouted, and she shouted that um, Biden was a liar. Um, and, you know, he he basically offered them on the fights like it was quite funny not a full-on fight but he argued back with them yeah it's the first time i've seen biden fully angry mm. so just to get on to the serious stuff about it so biden made um a lot of points this time with the people he invited he did invite bono but we'll move on so hey he- <laughs> bono has done a lot of good work i will not have that on this podcast 
I know it's fun to give out about Bono, but Bono has genuinely done some great work when it comes to impacting AIDS in Africa. So Tyree Nichols' parents were there. We talked about Tyree Nichols last week. He was um, beaten to death by five police officers. He was there. Um, they had um, the parents of a child who died of childhood cancer yeah. was there. He also he invited um, loads of people from different causes that he really cares about in America. He also at one point <laughs> railed against Ticketmaster and said that they wouldn't be allowed to charge fees anymore. He right. said that he would ban airlines for charging families fifty dollars to sit together. And at one very passionate moment, was like, "We're not going to let them treat your baby like a hold all." Well, <laughs> he's right. I respect it. <laughs> So, yeah, he went on one about, you know, the wee issues that, that tend to annoy people. There was also huge, huge foreign policy stuff and stuff about the economy. So, obviously, Ukraine, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Mm. Um, he welcomed the Ukrainian ambassador was there. Um, he didn't call for new aid um, to Ukraine. But the only thing is you can tell that it was written a couple of days before because there was no mention of the earthquake in Turkey, mm. um, which seems like an oversight. But... Yeah, this is um the most job creation that in two years he has done more job creation than a president has ever done in four years. Yeah. So, you know, whatever you think of Biden, and we just talked about how jobs don't actually mean anything when it comes to people being able to feed themselves. But he does appear to be doing a good job on inflation, that sort of stuff. Um, But, like, I think what it did show was how ridiculous and torn and spot America is. Yeah. You know, if the president can't get through the State of the Union without people jeering and shouting... Um, well, I think she made herself look like an idiot to most people. Like yeah. even like, you know, because not all of the Republican Party are made up of QAnon, no. like anti-vaxxers. Mm-hmm. Like that's not the case. And in fact, from what I've read, and I'm no expert, but they're trying to row back on that yeah. stuff. They're very much trying to be like, hey, guys, we're not all crazy. Yeah. And the thing is, as well, that they haven't, you know, Republicans haven't won an election since they elected Donald Trump. No. She's a Donald Trump Republican. Yeah. That's not one of them votes anymore. And they don't care about these policies. They don't care about QAnon. They don't care yeah. about the vaccine. They care about getting reelected. Yeah. And, and Joe they're Biden, not getting reelected. And Joe Biden in responding, I mean, he looked amazing. Yeah. Like any kind of story that they're trying to sell that Joe Biden is this old man who yeah. like, has dementia I have to say, is sometimes wild. when you see him answering questions, I'm like, Jesus Christ, that man is not worth it whatsoever. But he looked very stoic, very serious, very on it. Like, all the and he was responding. Yeah, like, he all was giving the pundits in America had commented saying that it was one of the best aliens yeah. that they'd ever seen. And he spent an hour and ten minutes afterwards going around the chamber yeah, talking shaking to hands people. Yeah, because like the thing is, Joe Biden's older than fucking T. Like he's been in that chamber yeah. since like nineteen seventy something. He knows everybody. Yeah, yeah. But that's two and a half hours on his feet talking, mm. walking around. I wouldn't be able for that. No, I could barely do this podcast. <laughs> Well, on that note, I'll let you lie down, Granny. That's even more political correspondent at the Sunday Times Ireland. Dr. Maeve O'Rourke is a human rights lawyer and lecturer at the Irish Centre of Human Rights in NUIG. I have long admired her tireless work toward justice for the survivors of the Magdalene Laundries and mother and baby homes, something she is very clearly passionate about and brings, I think, great clarity to. Like, these are tricky things to talk about and tricky things sometimes to get your head around. And Maeve speaks so clearly and accessibly about them. And I think she's just done a great 
job of shining a light on these issues. And that's exactly why I spoke to her this week, because she is shining a light on why she needs and why they need and why the survivors of the mother and baby homes need people like us to get behind them now and what we can do to actually ensure that the people who deserve redress receive it. I hope you enjoy. So I guess we're going to talk specifically today about the mother and baby homes redress scheme and I suppose the mother and baby homes situation overall. Um, And before we get into that, I would love to hear, because as I said in my introduction, which you haven't heard yet, (laughs) I'm such an admirer of your work and I, I just am blown away by your commitment to really working toward justice for people who are affected by the Magdalene Laundries and the mother and baby homes. And I'm really interested to hear how you came to kind of, you know, focus in on this area of work. Okay, um, thanks for asking and thanks for your commitment to exploring these issues. Um, I started working on issues of justice for Magdalene Laundry survivors in 2009 when I started my master's. Um, I went straight to Harvard Law School for my master's after graduating from law in UCD and it happened to be the summer that the Ryan Report was published. Mm. This was the first big state report following an almost 10-year investigation um, into church and state-related institutional abuse. And I was 22 and had visions of working in the UN on international human rights. And I was just floored when I started to read in the newspapers and listen to and watch survivors on the television and on the radio talking about what they'd been through in these institutions Mm. um, and how, you know, the ISPCC had been involved in ripping their family apart and taking them to court and them never seeing siblings again. And of course, the first night in a so-called protective environment, starting to be subjected to the most horrific um, forms of abuse you can imagine. Mm. Um, And I just thought like, there's no need for me to go anywhere to work on human rights. And the minute I got to Harvard and started taking classes and I started to use those opportunities of writing my short papers and then ultimately my long master's thesis on this reckoning um, with church state abuse in Ireland. And in the course of my research, For my master's thesis, I came across the small group Justice for Magdalene's, which had been set up by a few women, Claire McGettrick, Angela Newsom and Mary Steed, um, who are all adopted. um, And Mary and Angela's mothers had spent ultimately a combined total of 60 years in Magdalene laundries. And they were working with a couple of academics, Professor Jim Smith in Boston College and Um, Professor Catherine O'Donnell at UCD to try and in the wake of the Ryan report and the apology and the redress for industrial and reformatory school victims, they were bringing forward, trying to highlight the need for accountability and reparation to women who'd been in Magdalene laundries. Mm. Now, of course, Magdalene laundries and the residential institutions are only a very small part of a huge system that we still haven't, of course, fully um, uncovered the truth in relation to and we haven't fully recognized everyone affected mm. um, so I got involved in their work I used my master's thesis to be the legal submissions to the 
Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission in 2010. Sorry, that's amazing. Like, (laughs) I think a lot of people will be listening to that going, I wrote my master's thesis and I have not looked at it since. But your master's thesis was used, you know, literally used, you know, for justice. That's incredible. Well, it's funny. I was studying, like I said, I mean, I still kind of pinch myself for the fact that I was studying at Harvard. Yeah. And I mean, I'm still paying off the student loans from having (laughs) studied at Harvard. But anyway, um, and it really was an environment where everybody around you was planning on making law, not just applying it. Sure. Like, and there's also that notion very much embedded in American law schools that law is political Mm. and that it doesn't have to be this way. And it's this way for an ideological reason or an economic reason or a historical reason. And and it has sociological impact. And so we'd have these discussions in class, not about, you know, what the judges said, because that was kind of basic stuff that everybody knows, but really about like what that means for society. And mm. when I went to office hours with one of my professors and I was discussing my plans for a master's, you no, know, I was actually just saying like I'd realized I'd actually realized on trial which we'd studied for the leaving cert so was real. Mm. I was just sitting in her class one day realizing like these women are still alive if yeah. they survive. Like, many of them are still alive. They have had no pension. They've had no acknowledgement. And she just said, what are you going to do about it? Wow. So I was just really kind of pushed in that environment to think of legal research as mm. not just something kind of for my own benefit to sit yeah. on a page, but like yeah. I was there and paying all that money as well to be yeah. there to learn how to use law to change society, I think. Wow. So then from there, you just obviously continued to work with Justice for Magdalene's and and it's led you to do all of the work that you've done over the last, well, it's 14 years now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard to kind of summarize, I suppose. Um, but it's all been in my spare time, of course, until I then began working at the University of Galway in 2019. Mm. So now it can be part of my day-to-day work. But um, all of the advocacy that we've done has had to be outside of court because people who were subjected to this so-called historical abuse have basically no access to justice um, through the ordinary courts because of statutes of limitation, because of course of what people might have seen on primetime on Tuesday night about the fact that the religious orders don't even have a legal personality Mm. because of the costs rules, because you can't get access to the evidence. So all of this work has had to be done out of court. So I've spent, yeah, um, 12 years now kind of uh, taking witness statements from people affected, gathering together groups of lawyers, working with Justice for Magdalene's and then the clan project that I set up with Claire McGettrick um, and my colleagues, uh, of course, in Justice for Magdalene's to use every single form of advocacy tool that we could think of, whether that's in Ireland or abroad, using UN and Council of Europe mechanisms and trying to get the general public very well educated and involved in pressing for, um, yeah, forms of justice. Not that anything can ever come close to being... uh, what people ideally need in this circumstance. Yeah, and I suppose that's what that's what brings you here today and that's why we're having this conversation because I think a lot of people might have seen a clip of um, Colette who was a member of the audience on uh, Katie Hannon's show Upfront on Monday on RTE and Col- they were discussing the mother and baby homes and the redress scheme and they were specifically discussing the fact that at the moment as it stands with the plans, babies who spent less than six months in the mother and baby homes will not be entitled to any sort of redress. And uh, Colette, the audience member, I'll actually add a clip in here so that you can hear her. It's just, as I say, I know. I'm not giving up Katie. 
I know. I want to do this for my mum. I'm proud that she is my mother, and I'm proud to say I'm a daughter. And how can somebody come along and say about money and things? No amount of money would compensate for what happened to my mum. I will never forgive them nuns. I'm not a revengeful person. But while there's breath in my body, I want to be treated equal and fairly, and I want justice. To sum up, she was very upset and she was talking about the fact that she doesn't qualify for anything and she's going to fight till the end because, you know, out of respect and acknowledgement for her mother because to suggest that, you know, there was no kind of trauma or that, you know, she doesn't deserve any kind of redress because of the amount of time she spent in there was ridiculous. And it really, I think, highlighted just how very real and very emotional and very current the trauma that people experienced um, in mother and baby homes is now, today, in 2023. So for people who don't know, because I think it's possible, and, and this is not, I, I don't look down on this, I, I lay no judgment to this, I think I've been guilty of this at times, it's possible to feel a little bit overwhelmed by the horror of what went on in the Magdalene laundries and in the mother and baby homes. And sometimes I think people, out of self-preservation, need to kind of switch off, and I and I totally respect that. Um, but it, it's time really for us to switch back on, isn't it? Because we still have an opportunity to make our feelings known in terms of this mother and baby redress scheme, don't we? I think that's totally right. So we actually have an email campaign at the moment on the CLAN project website at clannproject.org and we've got a tab that says redress and you might share it as well but um, that will allow people to click to bring up an email in their own email server which is important because that way it doesn't just all go into spam coming from the same IP address Um, and we are asking people to email all TDs and senators to say please stop with your plan for an exclusionary mother and baby homes redress bill and include everybody who was in one of these institutions. So honestly, Louisa feels wrong, you know, even to be asking for people to be excluded in a scheme that is actually only covering a certain number of institutions because forced adoption happened way beyond the mother and baby homes and the county homes. But for the sake of this particular scheme, it covers 14 mother and baby homes and all county homes. But like you say, it is actually excluding anyone who was separated from their mother, i.e. who was not in one of the institutions for more than six months. And it is purely a money-saving exercise, Mm. as far as I can tell. That is actually 40% of the people who were in one of these listed institutions. And if it's 40% of all the mothers and children, it must be well over half of the people who were children. And no proper justification has been given for it. I personally think that it is quite clearly unconstitutionally discriminatory because it seems totally arbitrary. Um, It's been very hard to get a sense from the government as to what their rationale is. Because, for example, Kona Forhata, who was in the examiner as a journalist, is now an academic. Um, He has looked for the internal discussions of how they came up with this exclusion. It's all been refused under FOI on the grounds that it would traumatize people to release this into the public. Um, and that, you know, these issues are often the source of, we're the subject of a lot of campaigning, essentially. Uh, we're essentially troublemakers. We have been called that mm. uh, in the Dáil and Shannon before. Um, and so we don't quite know. And it, it does seem totally arbitrary because, of course, the key harm in the mother and baby homes um, and for mothers and children in county homes was family separation. Yeah. So yes, 
if you were institutionalized for a very long time, that is an added harm. However, we've been shown no justification as to why less than six months may not have harmed you, you know, on the institutionalization side of things um, as much as a longer time may have. But the elephant in the room, at least for the government, not for all of us in general society who know exactly what happened in these institutions, is that this was about family separation. That is yeah. a lifelong harm. It's an ongoing one. And to just arbitrarily draw a line in the sand in order to save money is unacceptable and it's an additional harm. And when we think about the money that they're trying to save, a mother who was institutionalized for up to three months will receive 5,000 euro and will have to sign away all of her legal rights against the state in order to receive that. Women who were subjected to forced labor, which we know was routine in the institutions, will receive 1,500 euro if they were in servitude for three to six months. They're not even allowed claim for up to three months. And if they were in 13 of the 14 mother and baby homes, there's a rule that they're not allowed claim that they did forced labor at all. 1,500 euro. 1,500 euro. Like that is just... Legal rights. So this is... It's nothing. I mean, I mean, it's not nothing, but like in the grand scheme of things, it's so I mean, it's little. it's almost insulting. It is, which is yeah. I began by saying it's, it feels grubby to have to beg for people to be included in such, uh, such a scheme. Yeah. I mean, you're not- talking about mothers who had their babies ripped away from them. And you're talking about babies who were ripped away from their mothers. And the argument that I saw being made uh, when I watched, um, as I said, Katie Hannan's program on Monday night, it was literally an economic one. And the, and the justification was uh, on medical and economic advice. <laughs> so like what medical? Yeah, but they exactly wouldn't expand on that or wouldn't give any kind of, you know, further explanation. So you're just supposed to accept that there's been medical advice that babies under six months, you know, who were taken from their mothers aren't suffering the same amount or... It's, it's sorry, it's, it's like impossible to get your head left. around. It's actually about recognition. Yeah. It is about being an equal citizen. People who were adopted, which so many people separated in a mother and baby home were, mm. they have been discriminated against for their entire lives. Mm. I mean, thousands upon thousands of them still don't have access to their own identity and their records. The Minister for Children, Roderick O'Gorman, has been saying again and again and again, for people who were separated under the age of six months, for them, redress means records. Now, I'm sorry, but to turn what was a massive abuse into now something that's redress, in other words, to be finally granted your equal right to your identity and call that redress in order to exclude you from a scheme is absolutely shocking. And I mean, I think gaslighting. But also, um, the government hasn't even resourced TUSLA or the Adoption Authority of Ireland sufficiently to give people their records under the new legislation that they brought in last year. Um, So thousands of people haven't received their records, even though they've applied. Um, Lots of people have been receiving letters from TUSLA and the AAI saying they'll try and get to their request by July or August of this year. This is just completely unacceptable. Um, And these aren't the only exclusions from the scheme either. So there's going to be an enhanced medical card, um, which is only going to be offered to people who are institutionalized for more than six months. Again, Mm. completely ignoring the fact that the key harm, and this is something that hundreds of survivors told the government when the government did a a consultation on what the redress scheme should be. The key harm is family separation. Um, Other massive exclusions are that people who suffered abuse in boarding out placements or unregulated abusive adoptive homes are totally excluded 
Of course, people who weren't in the institutions investigated by the Mother and Baby Homes Commission are totally excluded. And then there's no recognition of individualized or personalized harms like vaccine trials, mm-hmm. like racial discrimination, disability-based discrimination, expatriation illegally outside of the state for adoption abroad. Um, and so these are these personalized harms are things that the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission actually recommended should be recognized within the scheme as well, because the whole point of this is not really about money because these amounts are so small. And as the government itself says, what amount of money will ever compensate yeah. it's about recognition? Yeah. And it is about acknowledging learning. the damage that was done. I mean, that's what really came across. A yeah. Tiny, tiny bit of accountability is all that people are looking for. And can I ask, like, as I said, um, we have heard from survivors um, and I think we're lucky that that we have survivors who are willing to put themselves through the pain of speaking about these things, which I know are very difficult. It's no small sacrifice to publicly speak about some of the most difficult things that you've experienced in your life. Your experience in in meeting with and and dealing with survivors, what is the overall feeling about this redress scheme as it stands? Oh, I think Orla Ryan at the Journal, um, when she was on The Tonight Show last week, uh, was absolutely clear I completely agreed with her she said she hadn't met anybody who's happy with it Mm. including the people who are included Mm. because like I said the survivors actually contributed to the government's own consultation on redress yeah and the overwhelming view was that this had to be inclusive there should be a base payment that included everybody um because I mean the whole point is to try to get the state to stop its discrimination um, and to treat everybody who was put in one of these institutions, who was separated on the basis of their family status mm. and on socioeconomic grounds as well, to actually recognize their equal citizenship and all of our equal dignity. Mm. Um, you know, that there is no hierarchy in our society, depending on where you came from or who you are. And in 2023, we would like this redress team to be a statement of that mm. and all the survivors together were saying we do not want people excluded lines drawn in the sand this is about essentially equal recognition mm. and the government has turned around and for the sake of these small amounts um has said no uh 40 of you and like i said that's only 40 yeah. percent of those who were included in the mother and baby home mm. commission scope are excluded and we won't tell you why because it might upset you too much. Yeah. Um, as so you said... People definitely need to get on yeah. to their TV senators <laughs> and yeah. stop this mess. Um, so there was, a, there was a vociferous debate last week because we did start the email campaign um, last Monday and hundreds if not thousands of people did send their emails and it was remarked upon by so many TDs. Mm. And so actually that was report stage, but it didn't finish because mm. the debate was so vociferous mm-hmm. um, and well-informed. Although of course the minister was on his own on the government benches, not one single government uh, TD was speaking mm. uh, with him to explain the rationale. Although they were all coming in then in the door when the votes were being held, voting and then leaving again. Um, the government didn't actually call the vote uh, at the end for it to pass report stage. So there is that option, opportunity now for people to intervene again mm. um, and to stop the government progressing with the exclusionary scheme and to get them to make quick fixes that makes it inclusive. So yeah. 
Definitely worth it. It makes a massive difference. Well, I know that the people who listen to this podcast are the type of people who want to take action on things that are unjust. So I know that they'll go to clamproject.org and um, you can get all the information there. I'll link it in the show notes as well so that you can go and make it clear to your TDs that you are not happy with and you are not willing to accept the the plan as it stands thank you so much dr mave o'rourke it is such an honor to have you on and um i wish you all the very best with your continued work thanks a million louise and i love the podcast so best luck to you with it. <laughs> thank you here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. honestly can't remember the last time I was so excited to record this portion of the podcast in terms of the entertainment world. Uh, The Grammys basically made people go completely wild this year, as far as I'm concerned. There is so much to discuss. Plus, Kourtney Kardashian has produced vagina gummies and uh, myself and Emer McLeisett have a lot to say about it. Emer McLeisett, author of the Oh My God, What a Complete Ashling books, obviously in partnership with Sarah Breen and Irish Times columnist. Welcome back to Catch Up with Louise McSherry. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you. I'm so grateful to you for always uh, providing your great service in chatting about the celebs and the wild stuff that's going on in the world. I have been dying to talk about the Grammys. Not so much the Grammys themselves, although I do want to discuss them, but the way the internet responded to the Grammys this year was absolutely bonkers. Yeah, I was like, do we always talk about the Grammys this much? I mean, there's usually maybe one or two incidents. You know, famously, the Kanye West, Taylor Swift thing was at the Grammys. Like, there are some iconic... Was that not the VMAs? Oh, probably was. I think Poor it was Grammys. the VMAs. But yeah, we don't talk about the Grammys that You're much. right, it was the VMAs. Yeah, Beyonce. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I only remember because the moon man. <laughs> yes. The moon man was there. Poor Taylor's face. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like... T- of course, we've had a couple of years of pandemic where there wasn't, you know, any big major award shows. So they're really coming back into their own this year. Yeah. But um, I don't remember ever talking about them this much. I guess there are a lot of big names, Beyonce, Adele, Harry Styles, Sam Smith. Like there was a lot going on. Yeah. And I think I think that is what it comes down to. I think what it, the main crux of a lot of the chat was to do with Harry Styles and yeah. Beyonce. Yeah. Because Beyonce was nominated for a fourth time for album of the year. And Harry Styles won it and Beyonce fans were not happy. And she's never won it. She's been beaten before by Beck, Taylor Swift, Adele and now Harry Styles. Yeah. I felt sorry for him 
because mm. it's not his fault. No. You know, he didn't fix it so that he won. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was heckled a little bit. There was a lot of bad, like, oh, what do you mean this, you know, Harry's House album won over Renaissance. What a joke. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a slap in the face for Beyonce. And I mean, it kind of is a bit of a slap in the face for Beyonce. It's like, what does she have to do to win that major because that is the biggest award like record of the year and yeah. album of the year are the really big ones Lizzo won record of the year which is actually kind of like a song of the year yeah um but then there's also a song of the year category it's very it's confusing. very confusing yeah. yeah um but yeah and Harry also had kind of already started generating chat before he even won because his performance was kind of weird mm. so he um had this performance as it was and it started with him and a group of dancers on a turntable and they had been, pro- you know now that they had been practicing for like 10 days, yeah. they practiced with him. It was supposed to go counterclockwise and they had this whole routine and then when it started up, it was going clockwise. clockwise. So if you watch it back, you can see the confusion on their faces. You can see them kind of bumping into each other. Yeah. Um. He, as he steps off the turntable, trips because... Yeah. It's got like if you've ever tried to stand on a moving treadmill or like it's <laughs> it's just standing on it would be hard. It's a moving and it's not going that slow. So people were like, oh, this performance is weird. It's lackluster. Yeah, like, he's he, like, he started out of tune. He can't sing live. Yeah. Like, and that was what all of the Beyonce stands were saying on the Internet was this guy can't even sing. Like it was just to be honest, I love Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Like I love yeah. Beyonce. Yeah, same. And I absolutely believe she should have won album of the year. At, definitely for Lemonade and possibly for Renaissance. Like, I, you know, I think that this is a valid conversation to have about yeah. the fact that this woman who is arguably one of the greatest artists of all time who has won more Grammys than anyone else has been nominated for this award four times and has not won it like that's that is crazy like it it doesn't make sense but the viciousness with which people were attacking Harry Styles just felt really unpleasant to me because as you say he didn't give the award to himself and this you know the performance not going well was just ammunition and seemed to be what some of the people were heckling about like I could not believe the video of people in the audience at the Grammys heckling Harry Styles as he's accepting an award like that is that is unhinged behavior. It, it really, really is. I felt sorry for him. Me like, too. He looked kind of like beaten down a bit. And it just, I mean, I think Beyonce should have won for Lemonade. If yes. I was going to give her the award 100%. for one of those albums, it would be Lemonade. And, and Adele actually refused to accept yeah. the award that year because she felt it should have been Lemonade. Yeah. And, I, and I agree. And she did win a Grammy for best, I think it's best dance synth album yeah. for Renaissance. So she did win a Grammy oh, she won, for the album. She won several Grammys yeah, on the did. night, just not the big one. Not the big one. I mean, I wasn't surprised that Harry's House won. It was such a massive music release over the past year. Like It, it is a great album as and well. His, he has dominated yeah. so much of what's been going on in popular music this yeah. year. His tour, his, like he sold, he sold more nights in Madison Square Garden than any artist ever before. Like all of that. Kind of, and I think that that kind of comes into people's minds when they're it voting. Does, yeah. Historically, the Grammys has been safe. They've always voted safe. Yeah. And they've, like I was reading, they were started in the 60s or the 50s and 60s as like an antidote to, you know, satanic rock and roll music. Mm. And so they've always been safe. And I mean, it's Grammy members that vote. It's not like yeah. some panel of, you know, seven Beyonce haters yeah. who were like, let's give it to the white man. So but like, is there a problem 
Yes, I think there probably is. Yeah. Is it Harry Styles' fault? No. <laughs> so like this stan culture of like viciously attacking each other, each, uh, you know, different artists, like it's just to me is is crazy. Um, and I'm glad that the that Harry Styles dancers came out and said, yeah. like there were several of them who made social media posts and said, this is what happened. We had it down perfect. We rehearsed it for 10 days and then it went backwards. We were all completely disoriented. Everybody did really well to actually <laughs> to manage yeah. to keep going the way that they did. Yeah. Harry did really well to keep going the way that I he did. I saw some people calling for like the dress rehearsal footage to be yeah. released because they did it perfectly but I haven't seen I mean the Grammys is probably like doesn't want any negative publicity yeah. and is just like no shut it down shut it down even I was reading about like a lot of the dancers TikTok posts and stuff have since been deleted yeah they have yeah so but you wouldn't know even Harry Styles could be like lads like yeah, let's just stop talking yeah, about yeah it. let's not yeah. talk about it because I think that Harry Styles despite the fact that he won the big award had a very rough night at the Grammys I'd say he had a terrible night and he was his so performance to get home. that he'd worked so hard on he's got to be exhausted he's off the back of a million gigs like he worked his ass off on this performance then one mistake by one person fucked the whole thing up yeah then he won an award that he probably knew there was going to be backlash about if yeah. he won so he couldn't even enjoy that then he made the comment in his speech like this doesn't happen often to people like me and the world went insane yeah. because they were like you're a white man of course yeah. it does it's such a that's such a cliche thing to say in an acceptance speech yeah. and I'd say that's what it was to him it was a he was like maybe like what well I think say? as well like I mean first of all I think he would have been better to leave it out I think it wasn't yeah. it wasn't a great idea to say something like that but I I saw someone saying and I think this is a good point that like he came from a TV talent show. So maybe that's what he yeah, meant. Yeah, could be. People like me who audition for The X Factor at 16 don't often end up yeah. winning Album of the Year at the Grammys. Yeah. Because that is true. They don't. I mean, most of them don't end up having careers. Yeah. Like at all. So it is remarkable that someone who came from where he came from in terms of his entrance into the music industry, yeah. not his background in terms of his race or his, you know, because people yeah. are saying he's middle class. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I wish he hadn't said it, but yeah. I do think that that could be where he was coming from if we wanted to give him the benefit of the I doubt. I don't think anyone, maybe they could. I definitely did not see his solo career taking off the way it did. No. Like stratospheric doesn't really even describe it like no this. sure look at the rest of the one direction guys yeah like niall is doing okay oh liam oh. zane is rapping now apparently oh. like it is unusual yeah <laughs> it is like yeah but it's just unfortunate in the context obviously of beyonce losing a fourth album of the year yeah. it's it was not great yeah so yeah look i mean i feel like i sound like i'm biased but i need you to know i love beyonce like i, I really beyonce love beyonce bit, like morto please stop doing this. i would be it's now happened to her so many times yeah. there was the taylor swift and Kanye yeah. West thing there was adele saying yeah. beyonce should have won this and now there's this backlash she's probably like please stop i'd be like okay guys, i didn't win <laughs> i don't know did anyone notice that i won like more grammys than anyone in history because 32. that's the she story 32 grammys that's the story that i would rather be discussing yeah. like and she posted posted this gorgeous video uh, she posted her team posted yeah. a gorgeous video <laughs> to her social media of them celebrating the night away at the Grammys like I think that's what she wants is yeah. to celebrate her unbelievable success yeah. like I was saying this week to a friend of mine that like or no I was saying it to Gordon that I remember watching oh, I don't know was it like a day diary of destiny's child yeah you know that old mtv series yes when they went to the grammys for the first time and there's footage of them coming off stage and i'm sure you can find it on youtube and beyonce is going the grammy award-winning destiny's child <laughs> the grammy award-winning destiny's child like she's losing her shit that yeah. they've won their first grammy and now look at her like she is a success story no matter what exactly should she have won that award by now yes 
no doubt about it. But I think you're right. I think she wants to focus on her success. And I know that as her close personal friend. Um, okay, we've got lots more to talk about, so we better get moving. Uh, Madonna, I thought, responded really well to backlash over her... Um, her face uh she presented she an award used the daily mail lingo her smooth visage <laughs> <laughs> they've used it in multiple headlines now yes yeah so uh madonna is a 64 year old woman she has quite obviously had some cosmetic procedures on her face she's been doing that for i years. would say 50, 20 years now yeah. at this stage not a surprise mm. um she showed up at the Grammys, she did her bits, and there was a lot of stuff I didn't recognize her. I can't believe that's Madonna. It reminded me of the time, do you remember Renee Zellweger yeah. went away for like, you know, you didn't see her in public for a while and then she came back and she did look different. Mm. She had, you know, had, again, had some cosmetic work done or mm. whatever, but Madonna has hit, like, I feel like the amount of talk about Madonna and Madonna's face was just really, it was just like, are we still doing this? Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Like, it's her choice. Yeah. It's so her she, choice to do whatever she wants. She did an Instagram post and she called it ageism, which is true. She called it misogyny, which is true. Um, She said after the age of 45, like, the world just doesn't want to know, doesn't want women to have the agency to do whatever they want to their bodies mm. and she I enjoyed the fact that she said she said that she's never apologized for any of her creative choices about, in terms of the way she looks or how she dresses like I think she is looking at her face as creative choices yeah. like she's choosing to look this way and this, this is the way she's expressing herself and like you know, it's really none of anybody's business. No, she's reinvented herself so many times. And this is part of you that. You shouldn't be that surprised. I'm not surprised. No. I'm just like, oh yeah, cool. That's what Madonna does. Yeah. That's what, I mean, a lot of people do. It's none of anybody's business. Mm. I mean, I think maybe some people did get a genuine shock because she does look different. She does. And, yeah. if, you and if you haven't been paying attention, yeah. Exactly, exactly. But I mean... I think she was dead right to call it out. Um, you know, she went on and partied with her daughter. There's lots of social media evidence. You know, she she's Madonna. She's not going to change. And she also pointed out that like, you know, she was really happy to be presenting at the Grammys because she was presenting to Sam Smith and Kim Petras. Yeah. And that was like a really monumental moment because Kim Petras and uh, Sam Smith, well, Sam Smith is non-binary and Kim Petras is trans. So it was a huge deal for them to win um, and Madonna a Grammy. Was just and she's like, and you're talking about that? our face, my face? Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Um, she also quoted Beyonce, which I really She enjoyed. did, yeah. So I think her response was really good. It was really strong. And I think it shut a lot of people, a lot of chat about it down. Yeah. And again, the Daily Mail, if you just Google like Madonna and what's yeah. come from the latest news, it's just daily, smooth visage. So they're not like going, oh, what's going on with Madonna's yeah. face? They're like, okay, we're accepting it. It's smooth. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think we have to recalibrate the way that we think about people. Like, because I think... I can understand people's instincts to be like, oh God, she'd look so much better if she didn't do any of that. Or, oh, it's horrible that she feels like she has to do that. Like, I think that, that can be our right instinct. Either. If she if she did nothing with her face, they'd be like, God, Madonna got old, didn't well, she? definitely. But I think we need to stop analyzing people's appearance in terms of they'd look so much better if. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's none of our business. Yeah. And like, everybody gets to choose what they look like to a certain extent. And, you know, their choices are their business. Yeah. Um, okay, um, uh, J-Lo and Ben Affleck oh. <laughs> poor Ben leave Ben alone God love him I like Ben me too I, I mean all he wants is a smoke and a Dunkin Donuts coffee all he wants to be at home with his ciggies in his tracksuit bottoms <laughs> but what I love is so there was so J-Lo brought her husband Ben Affleck he looked like he was like he was wearing a suit 
for a funeral. I was like, what the state of him? He could like he could have at least left the tie at home, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um JLo was thrilled to be there. She was just like looking around, happy, 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 looking gorgeous. But everyone was like, oh, she's giving out to him. You can see, you know, there was a bit where Trevor Noah, who was the host, was doing a bit to camera right beside them. Mm. And Ben's face was just like, oh, kill me. And Jennifer Lopez like whispered something to him. Of course, the Daily Mail got some forensic uh, lip reading experts out <laughs> on the case. And what she said was, stop. Look more friendly, look motivated. And Ben says, I might. <laughs> if you like, neither of them look angry. She's no. kind of being playful. What I look, my highlight of what happened was um, one of the outlets, I can't remember which, interviewed the seat filler who was sitting beside them for a large portion of that evening, including that bit where they oh, were man. caught on camera. That is good journalism. Yeah. The seat filler said they were so lovely to each other the whole night not only when cameras are on them they were joking the whole time JLo was on her phone and like as the memes were coming out about Ben Affleck she was like you're being memed you're being memed and he was rolling his eyes going here we go again I'm the <laughs> I meme I love it yeah. thank you for so, that journalism yeah That's I just good. their marriage is good I'm not expecting any bad announcements anytime soon I hope not yeah um, and Viola Davis she got, she's, I think you say she's an EGOT. Yeah. I think, yeah. So an EGOT is somebody who wins an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony Award. Yeah. There are only 30 something of them so far in the world. And she, I think is the fourth woman of color to do it. So she won. An, 18 only. Oh, 18 only. Sorry. Oh. And she won um, a Grammy for her so you can win a Grammy for reading your own audiobook mm -hmm. and she won it for that she's won an Oscar for the film Fences she has won an Emmy for How to Get Away with Murder and she's won two Tony Awards for um, you know two different productions one on Broadway wow. so she's an EGOT yeah and she got up and she said it and I think there, I think John, is John Legend an EGOT or he's got one more John to Legend go? is an EGOT. Yeah. Uh, Rita Marino, who was in um, West Side Story, yeah. is an EGOT. And Whoopi Goldberg is an oh, EGOT. Interesting. Um, Jennifer Hudson, also an EGOT. Um, so yeah, women of colour are actually killing it. In yeah. EGOT. <laughs> yeah. So for the last number so of I years. I feel like that was kind of overlooked a little bit yeah. with all the Grammys chats. So that's yeah. good news for yeah, Viola Davis. Yeah, that is great news for Viola Davis. Okay, let's talk about Kourtney Kardashian's vagina gummies. Well, when I saw the headline for this, I thought she was putting the gummies in her vagina. So did I. Because it was like Kourtney Kardashian's something backlash over her vagina, vagina gummies. And I was like, oh no, don't put... Don't put that up there. <laughs> Don't put anything up there. there. That's something's up there. No, but. The odd thing. Courtney <laughs> yeah. Kardashian, in a move that surprises no one, is um, scamming to the high heavens about <laughs> vitamins <laughs> that can, you know, change everything about your vagina and mm. it's bio whatever she's talking about and pineapples and this and that. <laughs> like a grifter, you <laughs> just. <laughs> Courtney Kardashian's website push I don't know if you've been on it lately <laughs> not lately it is like if a transition year student was doing a project to do kind of a copy of Goop which is Gwyneth Paltrow's mm. you know grifting website with mm -hmm. trying to change your vagina biome or whatever um it's just selling very expensive things that nobody needs and 
she is all about like veganism and no carbs and no gluten and this mm. and that and it is just so she has launched of course this re- the Kardashians love gummy they love a vitamin gummy mm. they love a hair gummy mm. they love they sugar used to, bear hair care they used to love a tummy tea they did <laughs> this is wild though because basically the main claim she's making is that these gummies will make your vagina taste better Give your vagina the sweet treat it deserves and turn it into a sweet treat, says Courtney. She says the product uses pineapple, as you said, and vitamin C and probiotics to target vaginal health and pH levels that support freshness and taste. Guys, yeah. your vagina tastes good already. Yeah. It tastes like, like what it tastes like. Like there is nothing, there is like there is no problem with how as long as you're having a shower from time to time. Yeah. Your vagina tastes fine this like this is just this the fact that this exists is a symptom of the patriarchy like it's so infuriating that we live in this world that like raises us to think that we smell and we taste bad and our vaginas are disgusting and like none of that is true people who like vaginas like everything about them Like, yeah. including their natural taste and smell. And also, you don't need to take a gummy that to then no. is going to clean out. It's a self-cleaning oven. Yes. Your vagina does it itself. It's the same as these, like, detox your lip. That's, your liver is for <sighs> detoxing. You don't need to then detox the detoxer. But this is also one of those things that it's like, by the very existence of this product and someone like Kourtney Kardashian selling it, it's like giving women one more thing yeah. to fucking worry about. Yeah. Like, as if there isn't enough on our yeah. plates worrying about what we look like, what size our body is, what shape our body is, what our armpits smell like, whether we have hair. Like, as if all of that isn't yeah. enough, we now have to worry about the taste yeah. of our vaginas. It feels, it just feels like a really retro mistake to oh. make as well. Well, like, God. I mean, what's happening on TikTok now is this de-influencing thing where it's like, you don't need a seven step skincare routine. Yeah. You don't need this. You don't need the whatever, very expensive, whatever people are trying to sell you. This just feels very 2012 to me. Yeah. That, like They've jumped the shark. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk briefly about Leonardo DiCaprio's rumored new girlfriend <sighs> and this. Um, this man. I know. Do you know what I did? I tried to look up to see has anyone actually ever challenged him on this and I can't really find any... You know, I, I would say he is publicist up to the hilt. I'd say there's a publicist living in his hair, like yeah. a little knit friend, <laughs> who's like, Leo doesn't answer questions about that. And so his rumoured new girlfriend, we don't know if it's definitely his yeah. new girlfriend. She is 19 years old. Her name is Eden Polani and she's an Israeli model. She's already deleted her Instagram account um, because obviously she was getting a lot of interest in it. There's this thing, there was a, a chart... Which... which I don't approve of. Like, I mean, a girl should be able to have a bloody Instagram account without getting the world harassing her. Yeah, she's not the problem in this no. scenario. <laughs> um, I think in the context of, so anyone who's been watching The Last of Us, which is mm. the latest kind of HBO, Sky Atlantic, um, you know, big budget uh, drama. It's brilliant. Um, Pedro pa- Pascal plays the lead and his co-lead is, um, I think she's a 19-year-old actress, but she's playing like a 15-year-old girl. Yeah. And the age gap between him and her is the same as the age gap between Leonardo DiCaprio and this Eden Polani. Mm. And Pedro Pascal and the name of the actress. Bella Ramsey. Bella Ramsey. I'm obsessed with um, her, that's why. They're very much a father-daughter relationship. That's the dynamic. There's no like, oh, is something going to happen here between them? I was even watching the latest episode going, they're not going to go in that direction. And I was like, no, they're absolutely not. Like, it's just not going to happen. But like Leonardo DiCaprio just has this track record of, and it's become a joke where he doesn't ever date. He's never publicly dated anyone over the age of 25. And it's that old line, you know, I get older and they just keep saying the same age. And that's, I mean, 
it's, it's almost just, shameless. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I think it's when you, when you see the photo, like people on Twitter started sharing photos of Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey together to be like, this is the same age gap. And people are like, <gasps> yeah. like, it's just, it's rot. Like it's gross. Like, I mean, it's one thing to, you know, I'm not hugely, you know, if, if people find love and there's an age gap. Yeah. You know, that fine. Yeah. Whatever. I feel the same. But it's the pattern. It's his pattern. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, his last long-term girlfriend was Camilla Moroni, who he started going, she was probably a teenager when they started going out. And they broke up just before her 25th birthday. And it was like, oh my God, he really does not like anyone over 25. Well, it's just, it's, 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 as you say, it's the pattern. And it's the fact that if someone only, let's say a man only ever dated blondes, mm. I would also find that worrying because yeah. it's, it, it suggests an objectification that like the relationship is based purely on the physical, the physical. It just or, feels kind of arbitrary. It's yeah. Like that. But to be nearly 50 years old, like he's yeah. 48. He was linked to Gigi Hadid very briefly, like at the end of last year. She's a little, I think she's like in her late twenties. Oh, she's ancient. Um, but their relationship was never confirmed. I think it was a showman's like it, you know, nothing. Yeah, she's I, 27. I, I never believed it. Yeah. But I mean, it's like his last, he was last previously linked to, linked to a 23 year old in December. Mm. Like. It's creepy. Yeah. It is creepy. Well, Emer, that's all we have time for. Okay. What a joy to chat to you about what these stories. What a joy. Stories. Yeah. So much to chat and we will have more to talk about anon. Um, Imer McGlyce said, co-author of the Oh My God, What a Complete Ashling books. And I know that the last one is Woo! coming soon. Yes, it is. And of course, you can read Imer's column in the Irish Times on Fridays. Mm-hmm. We'll talk soon. Bye. Now, thank you so much for joining me this week. I really appreciate it. Every listen means an awful lot to me. Um, and uh, I will keep coming every Friday to bring you a catch up. Again, if you heard something today that annoyed you or that inspired you or you thought of something that you think we should talk about or there's any feedback at all that you'd like to send me, 89 209-6423 is the number that's 089-209-6423 send me a voice note and uh, we can discuss um as i said at the start there is uh, two bonus episodes a month if you sign up on the patreon there's a link in the show notes that's a fiver and before i go i do have some recommendations for you i started watching shrinking on apple tv plus it is a comedy it's like not hard watching at all it's enjoyable it's light enough, but will make you think a little bit. It stars Harrison Ford um, brilliantly as a grumpy older man, which we all know is consistent <laughs> with his offline personality. And Jason Siegel, who is um, gas. And it's just generally enjoyable. Um, not exactly an arduous watch, but as I said, it's on Apple TV+. And then also we have been re-watching New Girl, um, which I highly recommend. Like it really makes me laugh out loud and it is kind of wholesome and just a really nice way to spend 20 or so minutes. It's a nice one to kind of tuck in if you've watched something dark. So like I'm still watching Yellowstone or like The Last of Us. If you watch something that's a little bit kind of heavy, it's nice to have a little palate cleanser before you head to bed. And I'm finding that good. They're all on Disney TV Plus. So Disney Plus, that's what it's called. There's no TV. That's Apple TV Plus, Disney Plus. There's so many streaming services. It's impossible. Anyway. Thank you so much for being with me. I really do appreciate it. Thank you to ACAST for having me on the network. And thank you to all my wonderful contributors. I hope you have a great week. But if you can't, that's okay. 
we'll get through it and we will be back together next Friday. Talk soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.